Sam, fill me in. How are you doing, my love, my darling, my baby? I'm good. I've had a very busy weekend, but very nice one. It's been very, like, family-filled. Uh, quite a wholesome <laughs> vibes. We got to walk a dog, which is nice. Um, yeah, how about you? I'm laughing because of the way we pivoted from, again, the real conversation <laughs> into work mode. And I'm about to do the same thing right back. I was at a wedding this weekend. It was super nice. We also pivot from gorgeous. like the gay slutty chat before the microphone turns on to like, oh, I had such a nice wholesome weekend. I walked a dog. I walked a dog. Um, no, I did go to a wedding though and it was gorgeous. I did. I spent most of my weekend driving. Yeah. Which was fine. And I saw a beautiful wedding in a castle. I can't really complain with that. I had a look. I mean, I don't know if August has always been this rough, but I have been looking closely at my ingoing and outgoing finances. And I'm pleased to say that we are £40 away from, from just breaking even. Everything hey. that came in has almost gone back out again. Yeah. So uh, I think we might make it. I've seen all these posts where people are like, I will never financially recover from July. And I'm like, August ain't going to be better, honey. No, I need a very, very quiet September. Unfortunately, we hear that there is a lot of Doki Who merchandise on way, which could upend that. I know. I do a lot of sculpting, which people, who anyone who follows me on my personal Instagram will have been so flooded and inundated with that recently. Um, but I tweeted the other day saying like, oh, I really want to do some Doki Who sculpts. Um, but character mm. options kind of put me off because they're so good. Like kind of why bother? Um, mm. And then big, I used to love doing custom figures, but a big reason I always bring this background to action figure chat uh, that I stopped is because <laughs> I would make one and then character options would just make it better. And so I'm like, what, yeah. like what's the point? They're very good at what they do. They're very good at what they I do. I was looking again today, actually, I realized how much we don't need to put work into this podcast because it it this just is doctor just is our lives yeah. it's just so part of our lives i was on a website again today um it's called this planet earth they do officially licensed tardises um daleks and they're all like full exact replicas of oh the, the life-size ones Yes, mm. so the Daleks already tempted me because, I mean, call me insane, but I think in the age of inflation, I think they could be charging a lot more for these. The Daleks, it's like, like four grand replica, or something, isn't it? It's four grand. It's exactly four grand. And I think you might pay a little bit more if you want, like, the eye stalk to like. Why would I feel like you? that's a. I, I think it's a pretty good price. And I'm, like, amazed that they're allowed to just make these and yeah. ship these. Not only that, though, they don't have the price on the website, but you can buy a TARDIS. And you can also have a choice of, A, which TARDIS do you want? You can have the 9th, 10th TARDIS, the 11th Doctor TARDIS. You can also buy the 13th and beyond TARDIS. And you can either buy it in wood or you can have it in like this resin that makes it suitable to keep outside in your garden. See, this is the thing. I mean dear listener i do not have this money in my bank account but you best believe if i ever win the lot you know when people win like the multi rollover lottery and they win like 100 million pounds or something yeah try and fucking stop me having a full yeah like doorway with a dalek by the mast like staircase and then out in the garden yeah. having a tardis like hidden in the bushes like try and stop me yeah the only reason we need the property is to have enough room to fill the space for the dalek <laughs> exactly. yeah <laughs> like that's really it it's very hard like going on a website like that I encourage everyone to do that right now while you're listening. Yeah, if you're not driving, do I always we hear a lot think... of you drive when you listen to these, which I think is very lovely. Yeah, no, that's really really cute. It's not, to be fair, I do. I, like I almost exclusively now listen to. Po- I've really gone in like full podcast mode. I think since doing Hulala, and now I almost always, it's not our own, but I almost always am listening to podcasts like when I'm driving or I was cleaning the other day and I was just listening to podcasts. Well, listen, if you've tuned into this week's episode, it's because you're interested in what we're talking about this week. And Alsa, what are we talking about this week? 
Well, this week we are talking about an episode from Series 6 of Doctor Who, following on from our recap of the entire 11th Doctor era. This one is called The God Complex. Yes. Now, we asked on Twitter and did a call out in the last podcast episode uh, for people to give us episodes of Matt Smith's era that they want us to talk about. And we had a good mix. And let me say, I'm sorry if we didn't choose your episode. There are way too many. I sort of forgot how many corkers there are. Uh, one that I was thinking about that we really wanted to do was The Doctor's Wife. Uh, we had mm. The Rings of Akaten. We had The Beast Below, Amy's Choice, loads of other ones. There are loads of good episodes. But I think the real... But I think the reason that we've settled on the God complex is because it so nicely follows from last week when we were talking about what Matt Smith's character became and how the character evolved. And I think this episode was a real turning point for the 11th Doctor, which is why we wanted to revisit it today. Yes, this one is is a great adventure that's just fun to watch, but it also like conveniently wraps up the whole kind of 11th Doctor arc in one neat episode, which is great. You kind of get a lot of the story that Eleven goes through just kind of tied up in one little adventure. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, this episode came out on the 17th of September 2011, which was a fair while ago, more than 10 years ago, which is terrifying to think Ooh. about. Uh, it was directed by Nick Huran, who has directed lots of episodes of Doctor Who. He did The Girl Who Waited, Simon the Daleks, he went on to do The Day of the Doctor, and written by Toby Whitehouse. Now, oh, sorry. And written by Toby Whithouse. Now, he's done lots of Doctor episodes. He had already done School Reunion, The Vampires, The Venice, went on to do a few more. I didn't know this. He also was the creator of Being Human and creator and wrote Being Human. I never watched Being Human, did you? <gasps> yeah, I watched it the whole way through. I watched every season. What? What's it about? It's so good. So it's very much like mid-2000s British TV. Again, it had an American remake that wasn't as good. But uh -oh. it was about a house where a werewolf, a vampire, and a ghost all live together. Uh, and our lovely mm -hmm. Alonzo Midshipman Frame is one of... He's the werewolf. He's great. And oh. um, they have to live together and in this supernatural world. And I think like vampires and werewolves don't tend to normally get on and ghosts normally keep themselves themselves. And they're all trying to cohabitate and live together. And as the series goes on, you get so connected. And then like sometimes the character's in danger. Maybe some of mm. the main characters die. I wouldn't want to spoil <sighs> any of it. But oh my god! Honestly, like I really, really do think that you would enjoy it. It's very, it, it gives very like mid noughties Doctor Who. Nice. Okay. Great. I wonder what kind of parallels there might be in there with uh, some of his Doctor Who episodes. But yeah, interesting. Yeah, there's also some crossover of characters, which is very. Fun. I think to be honest, almost every single actor from Being Human has at some point or another been in Doctor. Yeah, a lot of just British actors are. I fear exactly. Well, this episode, of Doctor Who: The God Complex had a viewing of 6.77 million when it was first aired and an IMDb score of 8 out of 10, which I think is very respectable. Very tidy. Very tidy. Now, I remember when this episode came out, I was never the hugest fan of series six. I felt like, especially the latter half of the series when they did uh, series six, felt a bit disjointed and a little bit like lots of solo adventures that didn't really interlock. But I think after looking at Matt Smith's sort of overarching era of the 11th Doctor's last week, comes together a bit more and i did really enjoy this upon the rewatch yeah i mean series six as with a lot of the 11th doctor's arcs and individual stories have a tendency to be overly complex mm -hmm. and i think even in trying to like summarize what happens in this episode there's always details you need to go back and check mm -hmm. like wait was it a ship because and was he put there was it a prison was it a 
and how did they kill him and why mm -hmm. and you have to kind of go back you, you always get like the gist and you you always like enjoy the adventure and you get a sense of what's happened but then trying to recount like any of the details of anything that happens in series six is really difficult i agree i agree well look for anyone who hasn't watched this episode in a while or maybe has never seen it i always say just go and watch the episode like i said there are so many little details that we'll miss out in the recap and also in us just talking about it but definitely go watch the episode if you haven't got the time or you just want to hear us talk about it here's a quick recap of what happened the doctor amy and rory land in what seems to be an eerie 1980s hotel but all is not what it seems each room is filled with someone's worst fear and there's a monster on the loose seemingly feeding off people's fear and leaving a trail of victims in its wake the team meet a group of people trapped in the hotel a medical student named rita a blogger called howie joe the gambler and gibbis a tivolian whose only desire is to be enslaved the monster makes his victims praise him and wish for their own death before giving it to them. The monster starts to pick off the group before the doctor traps it. He learns that the hotel's a prison and also that the monster's a minotaur who wishes for death itself. Before he can learn more, it escapes and starts to kill again. There are several embodiments of fear in the hotel. Some are scared of disappointing their father, some of weeping angels, or even just scathing of teenage girls. The doctor peeks inside his room, number 11, but we don't see exactly what his worst fear is. Howie and Rita are killed, and it's not long before just the TARDIS trio are left. Amy is next to succumb to the monster's will, and she too starts to praise it. They run into her room, and we learn that her worst fear is being left alone, waiting for the Doctor, and we see young Amelia sitting on her suitcase. The Doctor realises the Minotaur isn't feeding off of fear, but faith. He convinces Amy to lose his faith in him, and the Minotaur quickly perishes, and the hotel turns back into a spaceship. The Doctor brings Amy and Rory back to Earth and gives them a house and a new car. He tells Amy that he's saying goodbye as he wants to make sure he's leaving them while they're still breathing. He tells them that they haven't seen the last of him, but they should start their next new adventure together on Earth. He leaves in the TARDIS and is once again alone. Ooh, Ooh. cracking summary, Sam. You wrote that one all by yourself. I did. It was a good little summary. It's it's a kind of, it's funny because I haven't really done one of a summary recently where it's like an all-encompassing all-in-one episode. And I feel like even though there's sort of a cliffhanger, it's not really a cliffhanger. It, it's like a, a hanging or maybe it's a cliff. The Doctor going on by himself and you wonder what's going to happen there. But this would have been a very good episode to have said goodbye to the ponds. Like it would have been a very satisfying yeah. end for their arc. Yeah, it's probably not quite... Um grand enough an ending to kind of um say goodbye safely to the ponds in the way that the doctor does and that's referred to in the way that amy says yeah but after everything we've done it can't just be like this you can't just wave me off like we shared a cab like it can't end like this because it does feel wrong yeah but this episode does feel like it could have been maybe even like a series finale in the way that it, it really wraps up a really interesting story. Yeah, no, completely. I, I always think of um, Dan in the most recent season where like everyone always, you know, either dies or gets separated by parallel worlds or has the memory. And he's just like, doctor, I'm, I'm just done. I want to go home. And he <laughs> I've had enough. And in this episode, the doctor, you know, gifts a home and a car. Whereas with Dan, he's like, what happened to me? Dan else? literally doesn't have a house. Stan, Dan stands with the 13th doctor looking at, his empty space on the street where his house was they look at it together like they look at it for a good minute and it's like oh well nothing to be done bye dan and he's like i'll be i'll be kipping on my parents couch for a bit <laughs> 
Yes, you will. Yes, you you will. let me down. You let me down. <laughs> well, look, with this episode, with the God Complex, I really like, to, call, to kind of go chronologically, I really like the cold open. I love when Doc 2 gives you like a real yeah. cold open into the adventure. I think it's very creepy, very ominous. I like how the visual cues kind of remind you of The Shining. It's very like horror imagery and you already know that something's yeah. wrong. Um, and I think that dropping you in with a character that has something to do with the plot later but isn't a character that you sort of revisit throughout the episode is quite mm-hmm. smart because then you already know the threat before you before the title sequence has even started you yeah. kind of like you already kind of know what the episode's going to be about but you, you're just right there in the action yep i agree i think really cool disturbing point of view narrative that we have this character we've never met before narrating what's happened to the others and themselves kind of about to welcome their fate and ultimately dying, which I guess isn't unusual that someone dies before the credits roll, but before you even have a chance to kind of question like, whoa, where is this? What's happening? The Doctor and friends are right in the very same situation, which is cool. Yeah, no, exactly. I think when they arrive and they see all the pictures on the wall, it's kind of like a high-low for me. I really like when you get to see like it's not just humans. There's different species there. There's different names uh they always have a hoiks i don't know if you saw there's a hoiks on the wall they just oh, there's always oh, a hoiks there's always a hoiks but i hate when doctor who does this when it just takes like a publicity photo or a still and just like <laughs> the graphic designer cuts out their face and slaps <laughs> on something <laughs> else there's i can't remember yeah. the character's name there's a novice it's one of the sisters of plenitude and it's got a different name but it's very clearly just novice hame from new earth's face cut out and stuck on there there's a sontaran yeah. from like the series four promo stuck out on there there's a jadoon from the series three promo and like that's just me being pissy but whenever they do yeah. that i'm always just like oh it's niggly for me it's actually quite a high this whole like so essentially if you missed it in the recap this whole kind of spaceship prison looks like it's a 1980s hotel yeah but it's kind of glitched a bit like the tardis's glitch look like a police box which means it looks like the 1980s hotel i think the spaceship isn't always meant to look like that i think it can take throughout time and for different people it's kind of picking up it can look like different things to different people but for a while it's been stuck as this hotel and i think it's meant to like wipe clean who all the previous groups were yeah so it's kind of a glitch that there's this like there are like school photos of all the previous victims on the wall and they're all dressed up in like a suit and tie no matter what their body looks like which is really funny because you have like a little saluntar and then like a little like (laughs) shirt and tie you have yeah one of the cats in shirt and tie you have uh saluntar and it's quite funny to me because it makes you want to go back and see like one of these other horrors play out, but with like a mishmash of like mm. one of the sisters with a, a sontar. And... I love that. They yeah. With just like, and, like probably like language issues as well. Like them trying to like, what? <laughs> like, I know. Adding to the horror to, like, because they don't have like the translation matrix that the doctor has. <laughs> so that'd be quite funny in itself. Yeah. Um, but ultimately they all perish they all perish it's another one of those episodes where uh, i think it's funny because i know this isn't a stephen moffat episode that he wrote but he would kind of joke about russell t davies being like oh he'll create this whole cast of characters and then melt them by the end of the episode yeah and i think it's yeah. one of those where I, I like that one of them survives i like that david williams character survives and i think yeah. the tavolins are really interesting aliens uh, this david williams's character is called gibbous and they're basically aliens who all they want in life is to be enslaved like that's what they want like an easy life they'll be enslaved but i like that the dynamic of there are these humans and this one like kind of human looking but definitely an alien and rita at one point she's like 
is he an alien? And the doctor's like, yeah. And she's like, cool, I'll file that under stress about later. <laughs> yeah. I think it's really good that we had, yeah, an alien in the mix. I don't know how I feel about the idea of the Tivolans, Tivolans. I, I, something strikes me as a little off about kind of this, like, race in the universe that, like, craves subservience like something about it feels racist <laughs> but i haven't quite worked out what no, and there's something it. about it i'm like mm, yeah, there's, there's something in this i don't like i like i think what the doctor says to david williams character gibbis in that he says like oh your your cowardice isn't like a meek gentle cowardice it's like a sly cunning cowardice mm. like it's it's nasty like, you're cowardly in a way that's cruel and nasty. And that was kind of cool. I liked that. I think that was an interesting conversation, that there's, like, a distinction there. Yeah. It's like, oh, you're not just, like, sweet, timid people. Like, you're cowardly in a way that's ruthless. And I was like, ooh. Yeah. Interesting. No, I agree. I think it's good. And I'm glad that, like, I don't know if you remember, but one of these aliens comes back in, I think it's Series 9, in Peter Capaldi's era, uh, the, the an alien called Prentice, who's the same Spearies, another uh, Tivolian, comes back with Peter Capaldi's Doctor, and I need to rewatch this episode because I haven't seen it in so long. But I feel like it's the same kind of thing. He shows the kind of like sly, cunning, dark side of what appears to be kind of like gentle cowardice, and um, that's mm. a really interesting thing I think to explore. I want to know what the story was behind his fear because you see all these different fears, which is interesting, and his fear is the Weeping Angels, and I was like, did mm. the Weeping Angels like? enslave you at one point and you didn't like it like what's going on there yeah i don't know if it's just like one of those like universal fears that maybe like in a world where weeping angels aren't like just legend but they're a bit more like australian spiders and yeah. it's like oh god <laughs> i hate that those exist yeah kind of thing that's fair i mean what would, what would be in your what would be in your room let me segue to that oh that's an interesting question what would be in my room i to be like real deep about it i feel like get deep and then get are you are you asked me to like expose my like greatest fear on yeah, the podcast? yeah well I'll, I'll bounce a question back to you afterwards i think mine would be like <laughs> someone who i really someone who i'm really good friends with being like upset or sad and telling me like it's all my fault i could write this episode just based on asking people like questions like this that's probably what they did i mean the fear is it's like yeah. the pe teacher the i really like rita's one of um disappointing her dad like the clown mm. <laughs> don't talk to the clown like what would your yeah. what would your fear be what would be behind your door <laughs> that was such a good little impression you slipped in there thank you um i turned to my boyfriend because we were watching this for fun before this one actually even got picked so it's just great coincidence um <laughs> i turned to him to me this is funny please laugh <laughs> and he was like what be in your room and i was like a wasted life <laughs> but that was oh my like, completely God. sincere answer <laughs> that or just like snakes like, I don't know, like big, those are two very fucking, different things a big fucking room of snakes basilisk. i i want to make one quick point i mean for me this segues nicely so let me get into it okay i think as disturbing as you know this concept of like your worst fear behind a creepy old hotel door is um, someone made a great comment about this, and um, I, I I agree. This this could have been a lot more effective, or even like creepier. So I mean, there's there's the creepy factor in that they could have dialed this up in a very torchwood way. In that you could have done away with like PE teachers, which are you know funny, but you could have just made that like a lot nastier. Like the fears could have been very dark and primal, and what they see inside those rooms could be like incredibly screwed up. Mm. Um, obviously, like not appropriate for the kind of target audience of Doctor Who. Um, but the comment said, 
most of the characters are only forced to face their fears in a zoo-like setting. Open the door, observe your fear in the room from a safe distance, then close the door and leave. It would have been far more effective, I think, to force the characters to go through the rooms in order to try to escape the Minotaur, force the characters to go through their fears rather than just observe them at their own pace. Oh, that's really interesting. Because I feel like, yeah, they there's obviously something drawing people to their room. Like you see with Amy and the dog, you see it with all of them, they kind of like stop just mm. outside the room. They have like that close up of their eyes and they like open mm. the door, creep inside and then shut the door. And I think it's only really Amy who has to like deal with her fear. And I guess you could say in a way that Gibbous does mm. as well. I mean, I think the example they drew as well with going through your fear is like if Amy's fear is being left alone, maybe she goes into the room, you shut the door behind you, you turn around and there's nothing there. And you are just in the wilderness and an hour passes and two hours pass and three hours pass and there's nothing it's just white limbo space like nothing and she thinks she's been left behind again and she has to experience the loneliness for like a day okay if doctor who had the budget for this which i know they wouldn't have and probably wouldn't now what would have been really interesting is you open the door and it's almost like a monsters inc style portal so amy opens yeah. her door and is let and you can maybe it would be interesting if you can only go into your room by itself so if anyone else looked into that room they'd just see an empty hotel room but when it's your mm -hmm. room so she opens it in monsters inc style she's back in her garden and when the door closes behind her she is young amelia and she yeah. like something like that or even with the weeping angel one he goes into like a basement or something and suddenly yeah. he's surrounded by weeping angels. And um, it's really interesting watching this because the doctors won. My note on this was, oh, we never found out what the doctors was. I want to know what's behind the doctor's door. I'm guessing it was himself. And then I just haven't rewatched this episode in a while, but I was doing some research and you do later find out. Do you remember you do find mm. out what's behind the door? I didn't think we found out either. It's the crack, isn't it, behind the wall? Mm -hmm. I, I thought the doctor would have seen... Of like himself he would have just been looking at himself yeah, like himself or like he revisits the moment that he has to kill everyone or he sees the war doctor know. he could have seen the war doctor maybe he sees the war doctor like that would have been a sensible thing to see inside there are we ready to talk about rita i think so i was gonna segue to her we've we've kind of <laughs> skirted around her because she's just so good we need a whole sort of segment for herself we do we do she's a wonderful almost companion in doctor who we get these great almost companions and you know that they're not going to get to be a full companion mm -hmm. because we're always about kind of halfway through the episode they are like too good to be true yeah and we still have another full-time companion kind of on the scene so we had this with astrid peth mm -hmm. and we thought like he was like money come with me yeah well, what was the line you know the line's better than i do um He's like, well, that's the bit where he's like, you should see me in the mornings. And she's like, okay. Uh, no, but it, okay. it's when uh, she's like, I was thinking that box of yours, it's a bit small, but maybe I could creep in like a stowaway. And um, they kind of have the whole stowaway reference and he was going to like show her the yeah. stars. Uh, Linda from the end of series one. Linda with a Y. Linda with a Y. Linda with a Y. She was sweet. She couldn't come. Lovely Linda. Lovely Linda. Um, I guess we kind of also had like Oswin, Oswald, like the first variant of Clara we meet. She yeah, she was brilliant. like an almost companion. Yeah. And, uh, and Jenna Coleman had been announced as the companion at that point. So it was like, oh, I guess we meet her now. And then it was like an extra twist. It was like, psych. She's like, dead. No, she's, she's dead. I know. I always thought Christina D'Souza might have, might have been one. Oh, I don't think she ever had a chance. No. <laughs> but but I, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yes. But um, yeah, I mean, Rita's fantastic. She only really gets like a handful of lines and a handful of scenes. And she dies, like not even, I think, in like the final third. Of the yeah, episode. I think she it's dies. about halfway through. She dies pretty soon, but... 
in that short time we get with her, we get a really, really clear sense of who she is, how kind of like uniquely brilliant she is, which usually like in companion terms means they're very good in a crisis. Me, just saying. <laughs> um, and we get a real like sense of like her weaknesses, her strengths, and of course her faith. Yeah, no, she, I think what it, it leads me to think she would have been a great companion is like, she's funny. She is calm in a crisis, yeah. but she also holds the doctor accountable. Like when he's like, don't worry, mm-hmm. I'm here. I'm going to save everyone. She's like, why is that your responsibility? And then she yeah. you know, does the thing where they say the name. She's like, that's a bit of a God complex we've got going on there. Like, why is yes, it your job yes. to save us all? And I think that that is like a key quality of a companion is being able to hold the doctor accountable. Yes. I mean, it genuinely like a shame like that we didn't get her like she was she was good i know amara karan is such a good actress and did such a good performance this episode and i really would love i mean it would be too cheap and there's a million amazing actresses that could come on board and i wouldn't want to be like well that one was really good so don't you know go back but it would have been amazing if there was some kind of like undo they could have done i also think this episode was quite dark in that often you know when people are killed like this in doctor who the monster like takes them away and and the dog's like they're gone whereas in this you come to their corpse and they are sat lifeless kind of looking a bit content because they obviously died quote unquote happy Mm. and they're just sat there with like a like a hint of a smile like gray skin like they're Mm. they're lifeless corpse like the doctor says he's like medically Mm. there's nothing wrong with them like nothing went went wrong with them yeah. to cause a death it's just like the spark of life left and um mm. you get that sort of like horrible shot where all of the marionette puppets are like lying dead on the floor and then the three mm. bodies of the group that you're with are there as well mm. and it's kind of a harrowing shot there's one shot that is probably not meant to be super funny um that i find funny so one i think we only have one death which is the gambler whose name i've already forgotten joe joe um obviously really like <laughs> I, I don't i don't think it's like a a great delivery but the way it's delivered is funny to me um is is when the 11th doctor like discovers joe's body and he goes joe <laughs> joe what happened joe and it's like this like slightly drunk delivery that makes me laugh yeah anyway i thought we you were gonna joe's say body, i like, thought you were gonna say when he goes got a gig joe is laid out flat and all the creepy ventriloquist dummies are kind of like sat staring at him in a way that i think is like meant to be creepy but i feel like it looks like like 20 ventriloquist dummies just like came to his funeral which (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of it's kind of endearing yeah um quick segue into that i mean for me the creepiest part of the episode by a mile is the ventriloquist dummies Mm. so we go into one of the rooms and we find someone early in the episode who's like already lost their mind and it's joe the gambler and they're like oh joe's tied up right now and it's like no no joe's tied up right now and they go in and he's just like spousing absolute nonsense like he's far gone he's like sweaty and strapped to a chair and it's it's really good fun and in that room with him is like i mean yeah the whole 70s 70s hotel is super creepy but it's like creepy empty like it's like a disused bar like it's it's got there's something so horrible about that setting of like a dusty old abandoned space but then within that all the tables have got ventriloquist dummies sitting at them and apparently they had so many puppets they had to use in this episode that they had to get like basically the whole crew involved so like all the people who are normally there as like riggers and runners like everyone was basically lying under the table like they all around the room they had like all the crew were basically like under the table learning to puppeteer it i thought because like at a table i think there's like maybe six per table and you know one person could maybe do like two but like especially the scene where all the heads turn i was like that's a lot of like ventriloquist that you have to bring in to perform that yeah 
That's so they funny. are so creepy like can you imagine being stuck in a room with those things just like chuckling at you i know i don't know if it was deliberate in that scene but i feel like it was just because the time it was made the kind of sherlockisms of the camera when you meet joe and the doctor kind of like mm. zooms on in his like horseshoe pin and his cufflinks that are the dice and it's very like it just mm. made me feel very sherlocky which i thought was funny it is very sherlocky and i think this writer or director also did sherlock so oh. i think that will explain everything for you yeah no there you go that'd be funny um, I like the slow reveal of the Minotaur because it's there's a lot of monsters mm. in Stephen Moffat's series, especially later on, where they ju- I've said about this in the Moffat and the Monsters episode we did, but they just kind of become like a meh looking rocky monster yeah and like they're not meant to really be seen you just see parts of them and with the minotaur it kind of reminded me of when we saw the empress of the ragnos for the first time where Mm -hmm. you are introduced like its eye or it's like hoof and it's noise and you see like the way it scraped the ceiling and then even when it's been captured you don't really see it properly it's like through reflections or the waterfall and things and Mm -hmm. it's not really until the very very end that you see him running and i mean it's it's sad that amy like obviously she nearly succumbs to him and um she's starting to praise him and she turns when they're running away and she just does that like amy pond sex thing where she's like you are absolutely beautiful you are beautiful <laughs> and the doctor's like i'm him and uh, the doctor and roy have to kind of like lift her up on either arm and like run hoist her away hoist her away that made me laugh it's great uh yeah something about amy falling for the monitor is 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 really funny um again the behind the scenes the confidential for this is fantastic so millennium effects were used basically all the way through until i think halfway through series 12 mm. they did the prosthetics for doc 2's monsters and aliens or a lot of them anyway if not all all the way through to halfway through series 12 and um and then abruptly stopped i think the last episode they did was praxius and then suddenly they didn't and they handed it back to the bbc to like handle your own prosthetics mm. and like lots of speculation about like why that happened but i think millennium effects like officially whoever was in charge of that there's in like six people working there full time they were like uh oh no there's, there's there's no big like drama there there's no big conspiracy we just we just didn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> which i think is a bit sus like i think no, something, there's something there's something something production wise must have kind of like gone wrong there to like yeah. not appeal to them anymore and they're coming back as well for rtd2 it's so giving some, something something was off yeah but um i mean they've got like swathes of doc two monsters under the belt and like very very high quality stuff and again in the confidential you get to see this massive like seven foot actor who like puts on the whole like minotaur um piece and basically the the neck of the minotaur costume pretty much like comes up to the back of his head and then they layer the kind of minotaur head on top of that Mm -hmm. and then the minotaur head itself is really cool because it's ultra detailed and it's like animatronic as well and they can animate they can make its jaw like chew the way it slowly blinked like in camera i just love these kind of practical monsters it's so good that it's i mean this is probably like i don't know prosthetics 101 but i don't know any of this stuff (laughs) it um it blinks on a timer it'll automatically blink mm. on its own so like if they don't override that and make it blink it, it blinks like it, it's a very like much a living thing um it's just it's just very cool um like the level of detail on those those costumes yeah. like it's one of the one of the 
parts of the episode that like ages very very well yeah no i lo- i mean i've said it before and i love practical i think that it stops it from aging poorly when you lean more into practical effects i'm just looking on millennium effects's website they've done like lady gaga's practical effects they've done obviously Have like they? a crap load of doctor who and obviously all the spin-offs and stuff they've got some really cool stuff under their belt but no i absolutely love when there are practical effects like even going all the way back to like series one of doctor when you go to the end of worlds i mean some of them are a little bit hokey pokey now but so many of the practical effects that they have like the mox of balhoon i think that you could dr- literally <laughs> drop the mox balhoon into an episode today and i don't think that that costuming would look out mm. of place i think it was so 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 well done um i really really like that i i like the doctor as well trying to connect with the minotaur and like it, it shows him trying to help it but this episode coming off the back of what we were talking about last week really shows, I think, the Doctor's cockiness in that he mm. he just assumes he's right whenever he's come up with some kind of hypothesis. He kind of works, you know, yeah. you know, like um, innocent until proven guilty. He kind of it's right mm. until proven wrong, and he kind of jumps mm. into like, oh, it's it's afraid of fear. It's afraid of fear. You know, it needs fear. It needs fear. So you need yeah. to stop being scared. Think of things. Hope and pray and think about what you like. And then he realizes it's faith, not fear. And he realizes that because of his slip up a couple of the people probably wouldn't have died if he hadn't just jumped off of that basis so quickly. And um, I think that's kind of what leads to him deciding to let Amy and Rory go. There's a really uh, interesting line. It's very throwaway. It's meant to just be funny, but I think there's some subtext to it. So the doctor's obviously getting close with Rita and we obviously know that she dies later. Uh, and Rory says to Amy, every time the doctor gets pally with someone, I have this overwhelming urge to notify their next of kin. <laughs> and it's, it's funny in the context of the episode, but I think that it really does have a part to say in the wider story of, yes, the doctor needs companions to kind of stop him and be there for him. But, it's kind of just like a timer. It's it's just counting down to something going wrong. Like the fair few that actually make it out alive. I mean, other than the 13th Doctor Who, every single one of her companions made it out alive, well, and in their own time. But yeah, it, mm. I thought that really, it, it kind of was a precursor to how the episode was going to finish. It, like, like the Doctor knows that he shouldn't be bringing people along like he he says to Rita later in the episode he says i brought them here i'd say it was their choice but offer a child a suitcase full of sweets and they'll take it off someone all the time in space i'll take that too which is why you shouldn't and i think that that's a really interesting line to have put in there as well yes that for me is like one of my all-time doctor who standout lines that explains almost everything there is to know about kind of like the doctor's relationship with having a companion is i think that whole thing of being torn between like oh it's not good for me to be alone because i make mistakes and i do stupid things and i become nasty so i need to have someone with me and after amy and rory leave you know it has to be river to say like don't travel on your own even though this has happened don't travel on your own and knowing how dangerous it is and as well we start to explore here this idea of kind of the experience of being a companion as being like really addictive, like it's it's too good to give up. And even though it's like really reckless to come along and it almost gets like more and more and more dangerous, the more you kind of get pushed and the more that you think you're capable of doing, you forget the stakes and you adjust to what you think is normal and what you think you can handle. And then it takes one bad trip. And one mistake. It goes wrong. It one goes mistake. Wrong yeah and that's what i thought was interesting about this like the doctor misreads the situation he thinks it's feeding on fear and not on faith doesn't realize it until it's too late and he's been like 
leading everyone to their death, expediting the problem, they might have had a bit longer. If he'd worked it out earlier, like, you know, he could have saved, saved Rita. more people. I saw, I can't remember which episode it was from, I saw um, a little still that someone had shared on Twitter the other day from, I guess it's series eight or nine. It was Clara with the 12th Doctor, and I think it was series nine. And someone said to her, have you known the Doctor long or have you always been willing to put other people in danger? And I, it really like Oof. cuts, I think, Clara because... She didn't. No, she didn't. She wasn't always wanting to put people in danger. But when you are around the Doctor too long, you kind of start to mm. become him. And I think Clara is a really good example of that. But you see it in Amy and mm. Rory. You see it in Rose. You see it in almost every companion that goes with the Doctor. And they start to not only be willing to put themselves in danger, but also put other people in danger. And I think that this is a really good episode where the Doctor has to kind of take accountability and he sort of realises... Okay. I think it's also as well when he realizes that the thing that Amy has faith in is himself and her greatest fear is being left by him. And it's kind of like you said last week with Lorna Bucket, where he'll kind of flit to and from humans and humans don't last forever and he'll move on. But even just mm. like touching them, he visited Amy for what an hour when she was seven years old and mm. that ruined her life basically before he came back mm. and sort of quote unquote saved her and i think having amelia pond there as her embodiment of her greatest fear waiting for the doctor was the perfect fear for amy and also like the arc of her having to release her faith in the doctor i don't mm. think it like was that convincing he kind of was just like stop believing in me and she was like <laughs> okay and then it i was am fine. just i am just a silly goose i'm just the I'm silliest just, of geese i'm just i'm just a silly little goose and you mustn't trust me <laughs> Oh, she goes, all right. Yeah, she goes, all right, she goes, all right, then if you say so. And then, like, if clearly so. she does, but the Minotaur is like, oh no! <laughs> yeah, that's like maybe the part that needs to be extended a little if they have more time. That speech, good as it is, isn't like long enough or convincing enough to, I think, convince a person to lose their faith in you unless you're applying with that some kind of like Time Lord mind tricks. Because yeah. that was the bit that maybe I was like, Oh, like, was that enough to like, because after that, she still, she must still trust him to a degree that she wants to come with him. She misses him. She's very affectionate to him. It doesn't like feel like it fundamentally shifts the relationship in the span of that. Yeah. One I think it, if anything, it changes his relationship with her more than her relationship yeah. with him. And I think that it, maybe he kind of was just like oh i brought you because i was vain and i just wanted to impress people and i do think there's an element of truth to that but that's certainly not the only reason he brought her along board and i think that maybe it would have been more powerful if it had been followed up by some kind of like poor action on the doctor's part like maybe if he was like look at me like i think he should have maybe said something like look what i've done i told you all that it was fears running on and rita would still be alive if i hadn't done that and i i was cocky and i thought i was right and people have died because of it and i don't want you to fall for that like i think maybe something like that where she can kind of like or maybe she says it she holds him accountable and i think that mm. it, it would have been a bit more convincing than just like i'm the silliest of goose I'm the silliest of geese and you must let me go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I agree. I feel like um, there was a different story and I can't remember exactly which one it was, but it was one that was like Seventh Doctor and Ace. And in a similar way, the Doctor, I think, had to sever Ace's fear in him. What was quite funny about that approach, though, is the Seventh Doctor was just like really nasty to her. Mm -hmm. um, I think he called her an emotional cripple. <laughs> which <laughs> is so unpleasant. Yeah. And I mustn't laugh. But um, can you imagine, like, in this one, he just goes into that room and he just gives Amy an emotional hammering. The other thing, by the way, 
um, really funny about the scene. If you go back and watch it, you can't unsee it. And I scream now looking at it. It's the funniest thing. I can't believe I forgot to bring this up earlier. Um, right before the Minotaur bursts into the room, Rory is pressed up against the door. I know exactly what he, you're going to say. He is backed up against the door and then the door swings open <gasps> and it suddenly cuts to what looks like either like a prosthetic or like actually Arthur Darville hanging from the door, which just swings open on its hinge. It looks like he's been Flattens. like cartoon squashed against the wall. <laughs> like, and... <laughs> Rory... Um, Rory is flattened against the door. And what's so funny to me is that for the duration of the speech, Rory is either flat or unconscious or dead behind the door. But he doesn't he doesn't come back. Like in the rest of until they're back home, Rory's not back in this. He like episode. when it turns into a, a spaceship, I think Rory's there. But yeah, for this whole emotional speech with Amy and Amelia, where the doctor's like, I'm just a madman in a box. You have to release your faith in me. I, I also love how this whole time we haven't mentioned that Rory doesn't have faith in anything because the hotel keeps trying to get him to leave and showing him exits that other people can't see. He doesn't have a strong enough belief system to fall back on when like fear reaches a certain level i think that's what it's meant to be it's almost like what happens when you go like beyond fear like what what do you fall back on which is the interesting like psychological part we all like eventually like fall back on some kind of faith system like let me have a million different callbacks to like the many times i've been like aggressively hung over what do you do you pray <laughs> you <Yeah>. pray <laughs> you know like and you know but in a more fundamental way like you know if you really 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 felt that you know your life or someone's was in danger and you're like scared in that way um like rory's atheist atheist oh for rory sure he has he gives big atheist vibes he's the he was in school haranguing other people he was in school quoting richard dawkins being a nuisance he was that kid in school i can see that i can <laughs> so funny like, yeah he was he was that. that little prick he was that prick he was that prick I'll, i have two things to say uh the minotaur's final words i thought were interesting about how he said he's talking about an ancient being drenched in the blood of the innocent and the doctor's like oh yeah poor you you know you can die now and his dying words are i wasn't talking about myself yeah, we, we know love we know go yeah. to sleep go to sleep and he's like i'm not talking about me and the doctor's like wait what and then he dies and he's clearly talking it's about like the, the biggest uno reverse like your mama joke like <laughs> i didn't mean me peace peace um I wasn't talking about myself. Peace. I, I just, I found that corny. I felt like they didn't need to spell out. I like, we got it. About me. No, we got it. Like, we got it. Okay? Like, if there was one line to cut from this episode, it was, I wasn't talking about myself. It didn't have to be so, like, direct. I, was, I also feel like, and this whole plot about, like, the Doctor being drenched in the blood of the innocent and this and that and the other, like, yes, innocent people have certainly died around the Doctor, but I feel like if the Doctor hadn't done anything a lot more people would be dead. Like, he, he's so harsh on himself because he's, he's like, people get hurt and I cause this and I, this and that and the other. And I'm like, girl, you also do a lot of good. Like, take it easy on yourself. Mm. Mm. Yeah, a girl, he's a little harsh on himself. Like, he, he they, she is, is just <laughs> a traveler, a wanderer. Exactly. And, um, and listen, babe, you're not going to get it right every time. You're not going to get it right. But don't be too cocky about it. Exactly. Well, he... And that is the whole of Peter Capaldi's arc in a nutshell. Being cocky and not being hard on himself. Absolutely. Girl, <laughs> you're not going to get it right every time. It's fine. Exactly. 
And now you don't need to see Series 8. <laughs> we don't even need to do a recap of Series 8, 9 or 10, <laughs> honey. Um, my last point on this episode is that I think it's interesting, you know, the Doctor leaves Amy and Rory so that they're safe, but he never, like, really leaves them. Like, he makes a real point of being like, you know, while you're still breathing, I'm going to leave you. You need to be safe. Hmm. And then in Series 7B, like, pretty much every episode, he's like, hello, hello again, it's me, hello. And then, obviously, ends up... Pfft, in the Angel State Manhattan, it's all a bit too late. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was that was interesting. They, they make such a definitive goodbye. And even in closing time, when he sees them from a distance, he kind of stops himself going towards them because he doesn't want to like risk anything. Um, and it all kind of doesn't matter anyway by the end, by the series seven. Alastair. Yes, darling. Are you ready for another game of Camp or Damp? I love our Campbell Damp music as well. In my head, it's like... Doo, doo, I doo, love the Campbell Damp music. I could have this playing over a full episode. I, th- that you could kind of swap out the hotel music for th- that music right there. Oh, you could. You could. This is so on theme today. I know. Okay, Alistair. Ventriloquist dummies, Campbell Damp. Um, I actually think they're so scary. In this episode, I find them quite camp. Something about their little, like, slicked over hair the slow kind of like turn of the head there's a lot of comedy potential in this something about them like lining up for joe's funeral mm-hmm. uh just watching his limp body for me it's 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 just on the right side of camp for me something about this yes does qualify there's definitely something uh, a little bit camp about it it's terrifying but you know what camp mm. can sometimes be scary oh yeah i love that on the theme of that camp or damp <laughs> Gottle Gear, Gottle Gear is very camp, um, in my opinion. Um, very panto in very its panto. delivery. Yeah, I see that. And the last one, this is just a quote that I know we both find funny. Uh, when Rory gets gifted the car and goes, That's my favourite car. How did you know that's my favourite car? And I think it's the voice that the doctor goes, Because you yeah. showed me a picture and said, That's my favourite car. <laughs> camp I do like this. It's not camp because actually it's banter. Yeah, it's, and it's very never straight camp. banter, yeah. It's straight banter. I quite like this relationship they have. In fact, a lot of like banteriness makes it through, and I think a lot of that is like Matt Smith's personality bleeding in, like especially in like the James Corden episodes, mm. like Closing Time and so on, The Lodger. Um, a lot of like Matt Smith's banter, I think, makes it in. Um, so I'm not going to class it as camp, but it's a great line, great delivery. I enjoyed it very much. Is banter the straight equivalent of reading? It's just I reading, think- it's just banter. It is, isn't it? It's a straight read. Yeah. But it's also like you can bond over banter. You can bond over reading. And I don't know if you like you I don't know if you ever like yeah, I guess you can bond over a good read. Uh so do you want a couple there's only a few, but do you want a couple little fun facts for this episode? Yeah, go on. So one thing I didn't realise is that David Walliams had previously been a candidate to play the tenth doctor and was apparently offered the role but couldn't do it <laughs> because he was doing Little Britain on tour. I I truly struggle to believe that's true. What's your source? My source was TARDIS Wiki, which I correlated with IMDb Trivia. Oh, that... Okay. I, I don't know how reputable they are, because I, I think that the public can alter them, so who knows? That That's my source. Yeah. Feel free to prove me that, wrong, audience, but yeah. That frightens me, that that timeline... <laughs> I mean, if we go with like a multiversal theory that all, all these timelines are all happening all at once in some universe... There is a universe There's, where David do, are Wallings... We, are we even... Are we hula la about David Wallings right now? I, I mean, are we doing that? In our universe, like, yes, oh, we are. We're like, oh, the David Wallings era, huh? <sighs> oh, oh, the golden years. I can't see no. it. No, I can't see I it. I don't see it for me. Not for me. 
Another little fun fact is that Amy's room is number seven. Now, obviously, the doctor's room is 11 because he's the 11th doctor, but Amy's room is number seven. Mm. And I picked up on this while watching, and I thought that I'd be interested to see if anyone else did. The reason it is room number seven is because it was the age she was when she met the doctor. That's good. I didn't pick up on that. What number would you have? Oh, I would have either nine or seven because... Maybe nine to seven. I think nine to seven because my birthday is the ninth of the seventh, ninety-seven. So my birthday is nine seven nine seven. So it's my two lucky numbers. So yeah, nice. nine or a seven. What about you? I'd have number one because I'm the best, or sixty-nine because. Hello. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> You're gross. Oh god. And one final fact is that Lucy Haywood, the police officer from the beginning mm. of the episode, was originally going to be called Lucy Miller, but this was changed due to fears of confusion with Lucy, spelled L-U-C-I-E Miller, who was an audio companion to the Eighth Doctor on Big Finish. Interesting. And I wonder who does the fact checking for that. That's probably like a script editor job, isn't it? To yeah, like you have. So within the script world, there's there's something called a neg checker who they have to go through the script to make sure that everything can be like, if there's a brand name or if there is an actual like name of a person, they make sure that it's not a real person. So mm-hmm. I guess they're the person that would flag that. But it's interesting. Comes up. They're flagging it within the Doctor Who universe itself. I think that's interesting. Alistair, did you enjoy this episode? I did enjoy this. I mean, I watched this one for fun because it was very much in my mind as one of the goodens. Yeah. No, it is a good one. I, I, like I said, I don't think I loved it as much when it first came out, but I think that might just be more my feelings towards series 6B. Uh, but mm. I really enjoyed it on the rewatch. I thought it was very, very good. Mm, I agree. I liked it. Yeah. It was good. It was good. And dear listener, we want to hear from you. What do you think of the episode, The God Complex? Now, I know there are a lot of Matt Smith episodes that people want us to watch, and I think we've got, you know, plenty of time to watch them all. But please mm. let us know, what do you think of this episode? Is it your favourite? Is it not? Do you absolutely hate it? Are you maybe afraid of it? What would be in your room? There are so many questions. <laughs> there are so many questions. And so- all being answered right now over on Twitter X Threads and where else are we we're on instagram instagram or on tiktok or on youtube you can reach out to all of us oh my god it's literally like pick and chuck a dart as a, at a social media site and you've probably landed on hula pod <laughs> on hula pod at hula pod on absolutely everything very very easy to find us exactly and as we've been saying for season three of hula we would love for this to be completely interactive with you so next week we are going to be looking at a little bit of nostalgia for us myself mm. and discussing the companions of the first era of the who revival that's our rose that's martha that's donna we might even be looking at astrid peth who knows so please tweet us Add us on Instagram, comment on our TikTok, and let us know what are some of your favourite moments from the companions from Russell T Davies' first era of Doctor Who. Which companion's your favourite? Who's your favourite companion that never was? <laughs> I like, like, how many ways can you rephrase a question? There's a lot of ways. <laughs> There's so many ways. You don't want to know how many ways. And uh, if you're feeling really generous and really kind, we appreciate so, so, so much if you could go and rate our podcast, whatever you're listening to it, whether Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, don't make me list every single (laughs) podcast provider, but if you're on one of those three, any of the above, or something completely different, if you go on and rate us, five stars is always appreciated, but let us know what you thought, leave a review, it really helps us find new listeners, and we always really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much, well as always, thank you for listening, and we will see you next week when we're discussing the companions of the first era of New Who. See you then! See you soon! Bye! Bye!